Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. Uh, There is a time-honored tradition in the NFL. At the end of every football season, it's customary for the quarterback of each team to purchase gifts for his offensive lineman, his five guys who stand in front of him at the line of scrimmage. Uh, So, for example, a few months ago when the last season concluded, uh, Josh Allen, rookie quarterback for the Buffalo Bills, uh, who doesn't have a really big contract, he still bought his linemen top-of-the-line iPads. Uh, Joe Flacco of the Baltimore Ravens at the time, he's since been traded, but he bought restaurant-grade slushy machines for his his linemen. Joe's always kind of creative. Last year, it was uh, virtual reality headsets. Uh, then you got Eli Manning, veteran quarterback of the New York Giants. He bought his, his linemen custom jeans. Now you're thinking, well, that's not such a big deal. But he, he brought in a tailor, hired a tailor to come and measure each lineman and fit him for his expensive jeans. Carson Wentz of the Philadelphia Eagles gifted his buddies with Yeti coolers. Uh, kind of an expensive cooler, but in addition, inside there was all sorts of Uh, expensive stuff like Bose speakers and so on. And then Jared Goff of the LA Rams, quarterback of the Rams, he outdid everybody. He bought each of his linemen a Polaris Ranger. Like we're we're talking a $15,000 to $20,000 vehicle for each lineman. Why? Why would the quarterbacks do this? Um, You know, expend so much effort and uh, uh, so much money involved in this? If you know anything about the game of football, you could probably answer that question, right? The quarterback knows that these linemen, they're the ones who protect him from getting killed, annihilated by the defensive guys who who are rushing. They want to sack him. And the the linemen are the ones who provide a protective shield so that the quarterback has time to spot an open receiver downfield and complete a pass and win a game and be a hero. So these gifts to the linemen are the quarterback's way of saying to his buddies, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Welcome to the first installment in a new three-part series about gratitude. Today's topic is gratitude in relationships. I want you to turn with me to the New Testament epistle of Philippians, okay? Take out your Bible, turn to Philippians. It's a short little book in the New Testament, so it might take you a little bit of time to find it. And there's an outline in your program. I encourage you to fill that in as we go along. Philippians is going to be our textbook for this three-week series. We're going to be flipping back and forth in its pages. Now, the title of the series is kind of quirky. Uh, but deliberately so. We hope it will be memorable because it's a life lesson we don't want you to forget. The, the life lesson is this, and the title is this, the more I think, the better I feel. Let's say that together. Here we go. The more I think, the better I feel. Now, I didn't hear the congregation in Streamwood loudly enough, so let's do it one more time. Okay, here we go. The more I think, the better I feel. Good. The Bible has a lot to say about gratitude, especially the relationship between gratitude and joy. The relationship between uh, giving thanks and experiencing happiness. 
This uh, close relationship between gratitude and joy is, is the theme of this series. The Bible teaches, as we're about to see in the book of Philippians, the more I thank, the better I feel. Now, Dr. Robert Emmons agrees with the Bible on this point. Dr. Emmons is a professor at the University of California. He's one of the leading scholars in what is called the positive psychology movement. He has spent years studying the effect that gratitude has on our level of happiness. Here's one simple experiment that he conducted. Uh, he recruited hundreds of people, I think it was 300 people, and he split them into a couple of groups. Group A, he said, here's what I want you to do. This is going to be a 10-week-long experiment. At the end of every week, I want you to sit down with a journal and write down five things that happened during the week that you're thankful for. Group B, he said, you, you guys got to keep a journal as well. At the end of every week, I want you to write down five things that happened that really annoyed you this week, really bugged you. And then at the end of the 10-week period, Dr. Emmons interviewed both groups. Not surprisingly, group A, the thankers, were not only more happy, they were also more energetic, they were, were more enthusiastic about life, they were more connected with other people, they were more apt to lend a helping hand to people in need, and on and on it goes. I'd, I'd recommend, by the way, I'd highly recommend Dr. Emmons' book to you. In fact, we've got copies available at Resource uh, at each of our campuses today. Uh, the name of the book is Thanks, Thanks, How Practicing Gratitude Can Make You Happier. Now, Dr. Emmons teaches that there are two essential steps to practicing gratitude. Recognizing and acknowledging or expressing. Recognizing and expressing. Two basic steps to practicing gratitude. First of all, you've got to recognize what other people have done for which you, you, know, you ought to thank them. So, so we, we, we need to give up on the myth, he says, of self-sufficiency self-sufficiency because we need people we need God and we're, we're regularly on the receiving end of others kindness others provision and it's time we started recognizing that and too often we act as if we're own we're our own benefactors uh, we're like Bart Simpson the cartoon character who was asked to pray for the family meal at dinner time and he bowed his head and he said dear God we paid for all this stuff ourselves so thanks for nothing Thanks for nothing. Now, we would probably never say something like that. But our consistent lack of gratitude reveals that we're, we're not recognizing the outside contributors to our lives. So recognizing, that's step one in practicing gratitude. Dr. Emmons says step two is acknowledging or expressing gratitude. So gratitude is not just a feeling. It's not a case of recognizing what we have to be thankful for and then feeling warm, fuzzy feelings about it. It's recognizing what we have to be thankful for and then expressing it to the appropriate party, to other people, to God. So today, we're, we're going to see how the Apostle Paul did this two-step thing in the book of Philippians. Specifically, we're going to take a look at how Paul expressed gratitude in relationships. Okay, now, there are three kinds of people that Paul thanked God for in this epistle of Philippians, and if we will develop the habit of doing the same thing, we're going to be happier people. So jot these three groups down, and over the course of the sermon, I'm going to be asking you to think of, of people you know who fit in one of these three categories. So category number one 
thank God for supporters. Thank God for supporters. Now, I'm going to read a passage from Philippians chapter 1, but before I do, let me give you the big C, the context, the historical background. So Paul is writing this letter, an epistle, to a group of Christ followers in the ancient city of Philippi. Paul's writing from jail, uh, someplace, we don't know where. Uh, Bible scholars are, are not sure what jail he's in because Paul had a penchant for ending up in jail. Uh, everywhere he went, he'd preach the good news of Jesus and often get in trouble for doing so. So he's writing from jail. In fact, the first time he had visited Philippi, Philippi was a Roman colony, colony of Roman citizens, uh, located in what was called uh, uh, Macedonia back in ancient days. Today it's modern Greece, modern-day Greece. And, and uh, the first time he visited them, he's walking the streets of Philippi sharing the good news of Jesus. And there is this servant, a slave girl, following him around, and she's just disrupting everything. She's screaming at the top of her lungs, all sorts of stuff. And Paul's getting a little sick and tired of this whole thing. It's, it's rather annoying. Uh, th this woman is obviously demonized. In fact, the, the demons that uh, she's got an occultic background, the demons are, have given her the ability to tell fortunes. And so her owner is making money off of her as a fortune teller. And one day, Paul, just kind of tired of the whole routine of listening to her scream, turns around and demands that the demons, in the name of Jesus, that they leave. And they leave her. And she loses her occultic power. She becomes a peaceful a tranquil person, but she loses her ability to make money for her boss as a fortune teller. So her boss has Paul hauled into court, and Paul is then thrown into prison. He's beat up, he's shackled, and thrown into jail, and at midnight, this is where the story gets good, at midnight, beaten up and in chains, Paul is singing worship songs to Jesus. And there's an earthquake in the city of Philippi, and it shakes the jail, and the doors of every jail cell spring open, and people's shackles, the chains on their wrists and their ankles fall off. And so now the guard is really worried that all of his prisoners that he's responsible for have escaped, so he gets out his sword. He's going to take his own life. And Paul says, no, don't do it. We're still here. Well, the, the guard is amazed. He takes Paul home. He bathes his wounds. And in the process, Paul tells him and his family about Jesus. And this guard and his family surrender their lives to Christ, and they become the nucleus of the new church in Philippi. So now fast forward. A number of years have passed. Paul's in jail someplace else, and he's writing these guys this New Testament letter. Now, I want you to let this uh, sink in for a moment. Paul is writing a thank you letter to the Philippians from prison. So if anybody's got the credibility to talk to us about gratitude, it's Paul. Okay, this is a guy who practices what he preaches. In the most dire circumstances, he's still thanking others for being supporters in his life. The Philippians had been rabid supporters of Paul. Now, Paul knew that the more he thanked, the better he felt. Now, with that background, let me begin reading at verse 1, Philippians chapter, uh, verse 3, Philippians chapter 1. He says, I thank my God, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers of, for all of you, I always pray with joy, thanks and joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. 
God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. Now, again, did you see the close relationship in these opening verses between gratitude and joy? Okay, look again at verses 3 and 4. I thank my God. Thank my God. Circle thank every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Circle joy and draw a line between thank and joy. So what, what is Paul so thankful for? Well, he's thankful for the Philippians. For, for these people who were big-time supporters of his. Now, let me note several ways in which they supported Paul because there are people in every one of our lives who provide us with similar support. So if we can learn to recognize what they're doing for us, see, that's step one in gratitude, Dr. Emmons, recognizing. If we'll just recognize the support that they're giving us, maybe it will lead to us expressing, step two, our gratitude. Let's start with missional supporters. How do they support Paul, the Philippians, well, they were missional supporters. Uh, Paul had a very obvious mission in life. Uh, he wanted to win as many people as he possibly could to Jesus Christ. He wanted to tell them the good news, the gospel of Jesus. And so he was traveling all over the then-known world to accomplish this, this mission. And the Philippians were doing everything they could to help Paul accomplish his goals. Take a look again at verse 4. He says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Why is he so happy about these people? Because of your partnership, your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. How had the Philippians partnered with Paul? Well, just in a number of ways. They prayed for him. Uh, they had given generously to the support of his ministry. We're going to come back to that in a few minutes. Uh, they knew Paul was in jail someplace, and so one of their own members, Epaphroditus, was sent to find out where in the world Paul is and bring him whatever aid he needs. They, they sent Epaphroditus saying, hey, whatever help Paul needs, you give it to him. So they were 110% behind Paul's ministry. They were missional supporters. So who are the people in your life who've helped you reach your goals? Who are some of the people in your life who have helped you reach your goals? They have been missional supporters. You know, maybe they coached you in, in sports, in baseball or soccer. It gave you a love for the game. Um, maybe they tutored you through algebra when you were stuck and wondering if you'd ever graduate from high school. Maybe they offered you your first job. Maybe they watched your, your kids when you needed a break. Uh, or maybe they helped you start a business or wallpaper the bathroom in your new, your new home. Or maybe they mentored you spiritually. Who are the supporters in your life, the missional supporters? And, and, and what about the people who serve us every day, enabling us to pursue our mission for that day? we got things to do, and there are people who are helping us attend to our mission. You know, our goals for the day, there are teachers and receptionists and doctors and mechanics and IT staff. Thank God for people who understand computers. There are cashiers. There are, you know, you name it. Are we recognizing them? And then in the course of our day, are we giving thanks for their support? Not just feeling, oh, I'm so grateful. Are we actually saying it? 
Are we saying it? Now, we all benefit from missional supporters, and many of us also have benefited, second kind of support, from financial supporters. So let's go back to Philippians. I want you to flip over a couple of chapters to chapter 4. I said we'd be flipping throughout this couple of pages of epistle here. In order for Paul to accomplish his mission of spreading the good news about Jesus around the world, he needed financial resources. Now, if you know about Paul's background, he, he supplied some of these resources himself. On the side, Paul was a tent maker. That's how he made a living. But that didn't give, enough, uh, give him enough money to do the travel that he needed to do and spread the word about Jesus. So the Philippians chipped in. And what's so amazing about the Philippians' generosity, we know from history that they were dirt poor. So here is this group of people who hardly had two nickels to rub together, and they're giving generously to Paul's ministry. Drop down to verse 15 of chapter 4. Paul says, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, in other words, when you were brand new Christ followers, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. You guys were my initial givers. Okay, you, you were the ones who helped get me started. You funded my ministry. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. So the Philippians were Paul's financial supporters. Have you ever been on the receiving end of that kind of help? Have you ever gotten financial help from somebody else? I mean, let's start with mom and dad, okay? In many of our cases, they, they helped rent the tuxedo or the dress for the prom. They helped us buy the first car. They perhaps paid some of our school bills when we went off to college. Or how, how about a friend who has given you free labor of some sort? You got a friend who's a plumber and they helped you fix a plumbing problem or someone who knew how to play the piano and they gave you free piano lessons or they babysat your dog when you were out of town. Th think of all the times you didn't, you didn't have to shell out money because somebody didn't charge you for their services. Now, this happened to me just this past week. So on Thursday, I, I had put in a long work day. I, I, been at the office 12, 13 hours, and I was coming home late, and I was tired, and I was thinking about the lawn that had kept growing before the snow, right, and how desperately it needed to be mowed, and oh, it was late, and besides that, my dad had been in the hospital for a couple of days uh, battling his cancer, and so I get home, and I pull in the driveway, and my lawn's mowed. And Sue tells me the story. She says, you know, while you were at work today, I thought I'd surprise you because there was a, a guy and his teenage son next door uh, doing the neighbor's yard. And I went over and I said, how much does it cost? And they told me. And I said, could you do my lawn? Because my husband's putting in a long work day and his dad's in the hospital. He's got to go visit him. And the, the son said to his dad, dad, let's do it for free. So I'm pulling out this card every chance I get now, you know. <laughs> Yes, spreading the word, but yeah, so wonderful. Immediately texted, thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, now maybe you've had a, a mega financial supporter experience. I was talking to a friend of mine not too long ago, and he and his wife have a dream to adopt a child. Uh, they, they already have kids of their own, but they just want to bring a child who wouldn't have a family otherwise into a Christian home. I think, oh, what a wonderful dream. But it's a dream that costs 30 grand. Can you believe that? 
you know, working through a, a Christian agency, $30,000 to adopt a child. They didn't have that kind of money. But when their friends heard that they want to adopt, their friends took a little, you know, collection amongst themselves and raised $22,000 of the $30,000. Now, that is a yay God story. You got any yay God financial supporter stories in your life? Somebody who did something just incredible by way of financial support. Third kind of supporter we can be grateful for, emotional supporters. Emotional supporters. Back to Philippians chapter 1. I read the opening verses to you a bit earlier. Did you notice how closely bonded Paul was to these guys? I mean, they had a heart connection. Look again at verse 7. Paul says, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. Drop down to the next verse, verse 8. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. You know, the Philippians believed in Paul, and Paul could sense that. They were emotional supporters. And this was not always true of the churches that Paul started and later wrote New Testament letters to. If you know anything about the Corinthians, for example, you know, it seemed to be their lot in life to take the wind out of Paul's sails. They always wanted to drop Paul down a few notches, put him in his place. Not the Philippians. Philippians believed in Paul, communicated to Paul, we're behind you. I, I uh, finished recently a biography of Lang Lang. Some of you know who he is. If you know nothing about classical music, you might be unfamiliar with his name. He's uh, a young, one of the greatest pianists in the world today. Grew up in China. Uh, in the 80s and 90s, as he was growing up, China had a one-child policy. Every family could have, at most, one child. And so parents pinned all of their hopes and their dreams on this one child. And so in his case, his dad wanted Lang Lang to be the number one pianist, first in the country and then in the world. And so his dad quit his day job, he was a police officer, and he became Lang Lang's personal manager. And he drove his son relentlessly, entered him in competition after competition, and would not accept it if Lang Lang didn't win. On, on one occasion, his dad told him, you know, because he didn't come in first place, he said, you might as well die you know, better die than to live with the shame of not having one. Real emotional supporter. Yeah. Well, as, as the story goes, when he reached his teenage years, he was offered a scholarship at a music conservatory in Philadelphia, and he moved to the United States, and he got a new mentor, a guy by the name of Dr. Grafman, also a well-known pianist, and Dr. Grafman had a total, totally different approach. First thing he told Lang Lang, he said, no more piano competitions, okay? Because I don't want you doing music to please a judge. I want you learning to love music. I, I want you to understand what you're playing and to enjoy it. And he filled Lang Lang's sails with wind, with breeze. And the guy's piano career just took off. So, Do you have an emotional supporter in your life? Somebody who believes in you. Somebody who loves to tell you you're doing a great job. You thankful for that person? Have you ever told them so? Have you ever told God you're thankful for that person? Because it's not just telling the person themselves. It's telling God. Paul thanked the Philippians, but he thanked God for the Philippians as well. You get it? Good. So first category 
of people in our lives to be thankful for and to express our thanks to our supporters. Here's a second category of people. Thank God for role models. Thank God for role models. I want you to flip over to the second chapter of Philippians. And if you got your Bible open, I want you to look at the heading. You know, I've taught you to always look at the headings because they will tell you what the theme of the chapter is. So what is the theme of Philippians chapter 2? Call it out. Got it. Good, good. Imitating Christ's humility. So this is the theme of chapter 2. Christ has done something that we're to imitate. He's a role model. So pick it up at verse 3. Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Okay, what does Paul want the Philippians to do? He wants them to humbly value other people. He said, you know, look out for their interests, not just your, your, your own interests. Now, that's hard to do. I mean, wouldn't it be helpful if someone demonstrated that behavior for us so we could see, oh, that's what it looks like. If we had a visual aid, if we had a role model. Paul says, well, guess what? We've got a role model. His name is Jesus. He is a role model of putting others' interests above his own. That's why Jesus left the glory and the comfort of heaven. That's why Jesus came to planet Earth and died on a cross. Because our interests were to get out of death. We had disconnected from God, the source of life, because of our sins. Our, our sins had to be atoned for. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. He was looking out for our interests, not his own interests. So, how does it make you feel when you hear that Jesus is to be your role model? You know, just choose Jesus to be your role model in this or that area of life. How does it make you feel? Well, on the one hand, it's inspiring. You know, I suppose that's why they sold some years ago all those WWJD bracelets, right? What would Jesus do? But on the other hand, wouldn't you admit it's a, it's a wee bit intimidating? J just behave like Jesus behaved. Just do it. It's kind of like me saying to you, so you're, you're having trouble with your golf game? Well, goodness, just swing your club like Tiger does. I mean, you, you could do that, can't you? And it seems as if Paul gets the fact that using Jesus as our role model might leave us feeling like the bar has been set a little bit too high. So in the middle of chapter 2, Paul switches role models. And he offers two ordinary guys. It's no longer Jesus. It's two ordinary guys, two guys the Philippians knew personally, Timothy and Epaphroditus, as examples of what it looks like to put others' interests before your own. So let, let me read the passage to you. Drop down to verse 19. This is what Paul says first about Timothy. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him, nobody else like Timothy, who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone else looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy, you know that he's proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Everybody else puts their own interests first, not Timothy. He's a role model. 
Now drop down to verse 25, we learn about the second guy. But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, fellow soldier, who's also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. Epaphroditus has been taking care of my needs, Paul says, looking out for the interests of somebody else. Verse 29, so then welcome him in the Lord with great joy. Honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Wow. Timothy, Epaphroditus, stellar role models. Thank God for the role models in our lives. Thank God for the people who've shown us how to live People like Timothy, people like Epaphroditus. You know anybody like that? Do you know somebody worth imitating? You know, one of the blessings of being at a church like Christ Community is you are surrounded by role models. In, in fact, hardly a week goes by here when I don't have a conversation with someone from the church and I'm thinking to myself as I'm hearing them tell part of their story I'm thinking, oh, this would make such a good video to show on the weekend because this person is such a role model in this or that area. Okay, so, so for example, I'm eating at CPK a, a couple of weeks ago with a, a buddy of mine, and the waitress brings our food. And my buddy, who is a zone leader at our St. Charles campus and a real friendly guy, he turns to her and he says, you know, we're about to thank God for the food, but if there's anything going on in your life we can pray about, we'll pray for that too. And for a moment, she was just a bit taken back, but then she thought of something immediately and said, oh yeah, would you pray for this? And I thought to myself, you know, I used to do that with regularity. You've heard me teach that before, but I hadn't been doing it for some time. And my buddy was a role model, he was a reminder. This is just such an easy way to express care and concern for wait staff, something anybody could do. I needed that role model to remind me. You know, this last week I was having breakfast with one of the guys in my men's group. You know, it probably sounds like I eat out a lot, doesn't it? And, and uh, you know, and I do. <laughs> and as we're talking, he's telling me about his middle school son. His middle school son is in theater. He's in community theater. And he says, you wouldn't believe what happened recently. The, the director of a play they were doing rewrote the script. The original script called, called for a family, a mom and a dad and kids. And the, the director rewrote it because of his personal agenda to be a mom and a mom and their kids. Kind of forcing his agenda on these middle school students. And I said to this dad, I said, yeah, how do you deal with that? I mean, your son's in public school. You must face these kind of issues all the time. Does it scare you? Would you like to pull him out? And the dad said, absolutely not. Those are teachable moments. He said, like in this situation with the community theater, we just sat down, we got out the Bible, turned to Genesis, and said, this is God's design for marriage. Marriage is his idea. It's one man, one woman for life. And he went on to say, you know, and in... Anything that pops up in their lives school-wise that raises questions, issues, the Bible comes out. I thought to myself, this is video material. I want every parent who's got a child in public school to hear, you don't need to be fearful. You just need to pull out your Bible and talk about bullying, talk about peer pressure, talk about drinking or sex or cutting or whatever. I walked away from that breakfast saying, thank you, Lord, for role models. Thank you, Lord, for, you know, role models. They're all over our church. 
Think of a couple of guys who own their own businesses. They, they're not only successful financially, they have received all sorts of awards, been recognized by Forbes and you know, other people who give awards for businesses. And, and the reason their businesses do so great is they operate according to scripture. Okay, they're Christ followers who wanna honor Jesus as CEOs. And so whenever I run into anybody who owns their own business and they're struggling, they, I want to be a better Christ follower and CEO, I say, go have coffee with my buddy Joe or Amir because they'll get you straight, man. They're role models in this regard. I got, I got a friend who I was talking with last week. She has come through a bipolar disorder. You know, mental health is a big issue these days. A lot of people struggle. Maybe you struggle with mental health or someone in your family does. And she said to me, she said, you know, I've come out the other side of this thing, and my husband had to weather it with me, but with God's help, I feel like I'm ready to help anybody else now who needs a role model in that regard. I thought, wonderful. I know a role model when it comes to mental health. Some of you are young moms. You know, you got multiple preschoolers. You're at that stage of life when you're exhausted, so exhausted you can't see straight most days. And you're wondering, how do you get through this? I've got role models I could point you to. Women who thrived at that stage of life, and they can tell you how they did it. Role models. You know, that, that's, that's what Karenite is built on, role models. If you've never been to Karenite, it's at three of our four campuses. And we have volunteer leaders who have broken addictions or have pulled themselves out of debt or have navigated a time of grieving for a lost loved one or recovered from divorce. They're role models in these areas willing to help you, willing to say this is what it looks like when God's involved in this area of life. I hope every one of our community group leaders is a role model for you. We've, you know, we've got 300 and some community group leaders so men's leaders and women's leaders and couples leaders and singles leaders. And we, we've got community group leaders for middle school students on Wednesday night at, at uh, Genesis and for high school students at Mosaic and for college students at Crave. And they will show you how to get in the Bible and get something for your life. They'll show you how to pray. They'll show you how to grow in a relationship with Christ. Thank you, Lord, for role models, right? Thank you, God, for role models. Can you say it with me? Thank you, God, for role models. Yeah, that's the second category. Let me give you one third and final category. People to thank God for. Third category. Thank God for VDPs. Now, I'm curious how many of you even know what a VDP is. If you know what a VDP is, call it out. It's a very draining person. I'm sorry that I just gave some of you a new term. But VDPs come in a wide variety of styles. Some of them drain us by their constant whining. Uh, other VDPs drain us by their laziness. We're constantly trying to light a fire under them, get them going. Some of our, our VDPs drain us because of their excuse making or because of their critical spirit, or because of their controlling nature, or because of their nonstop talking, or because of their messiness, or because of their cutesy Instagram captions or because of their inability to get along with others? Have I touched on your VDP yet? So flip over to Philippians chapter 4 because I want to introduce you to a couple of the Apostle Paul's VDPs. So beginning at verse 1, therefore my brothers and sisters, you whom I long, love and long for, my joy and crown, 
Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Now, so far, so good. Sounds like Paul's got wonderful friends. Keep reading. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. In other words, ladies, get along with each other. Okay? Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they've contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. How would you like your name to be mentioned in a book that gets read by millions of people over 2,000 years? Pretty cool, huh? Unless you're Euodia and Syntyche. Now, they have been immortalized as the two. We know who they are. They're the two women who couldn't get along with each other. They're the two women who were a major pain in the you-know-where to the Apostle Paul, so much so that he had to gently rebuke them by name in one of his New Testament epistles. But even as Paul addresses these two VDPs, I... I pick up a thankfulness in his spirit. I do. And this is such a prominent theme throughout the book of Philippians. What, what could Paul possibly find to thank God for when it came to Euodia and, and Syntyche? And what could you and I thank God for when it comes to the VDPs in our lives? I mused on that as I, I looked at this paragraph this week, and I came up with at least three reasons for gratitude, for VDPs in this short paragraph. Let me give them to you, then we'll close. Thank God for good people. When you're, you're facing VDPs, thank God for good people. Look at verse 1. Before Paul deals with these VDPs, he mentions brothers and sisters whom I love and long for my joy and crown, dear friends. Wow. Don't you have some good people in your life? Don't you? Okay, don't tell me everybody in your life is a VDP. If they are, it could be you who's the VDP. Okay, just saying. Right? So one of the things when you're facing your VDP is to say, not to them, but to God. Thank you, God, that everybody in my life is not like this. You've given me some really good people. Second thing to thank God for, thank God for the VDP's better qualities. Did you notice how Paul described Euodia and Syntyche in verse 3? He describes them as hard workers who've contended side by side with them in the cause of the gospel. So you're really aware of what drives you crazy in your VDP. Are you also aware of what's commendable? You say, yeah, nothing. No, come on. There's something there that you could say, but... Yeah, God, they're kind of draining in this way, but thank you that they're what? Here's a third thing to thank God. Thank God for the opportunity to grow. You, the opportunity to grow. Paul gives instructions in this paragraph for how his friends need to help Euodia and Syntyche work through their problem. See, if there were no VDPs in our lives, things would be more peaceful, but we wouldn't grow. You know, our patience wouldn't get stretched. Our love wouldn't be challenged. Our opinions wouldn't be tempered. Our relational skills wouldn't be honed. So when you're facing your VDP, just bow your head and say, thanks, God, for this opportunity to grow. Uh, I recently came across uh, the strangest story in the news that I'd read in, in quite some time. It's about, about a guy named Kondo uh, who just married a hologram. Now, I'm not making this up. This is a true story. 
It's in the news. You may have seen the news story. Uh, Kato lives in Japan. He looks like a pretty smart guy. He's a white-collar worker working at a laptop in one of, one of the pictures. Uh, but Mikyu is his new bride, his new wife. Uh, Mikyu is a flickering 3D image in a bell jar. Okay, and she is programmed so she can give responses and whatever, but she has no desires, no opinions, no agenda of her own. She's totally controlled by Kondo's relational narrative. In, in fact, when he asked her to marry him, she said yes, and then she added, if you will cherish me. Now, that sounds endearing, doesn't it? But Kondo says, I knew she was programmed to say that. But I was still really happy. She lifted me up when I needed it the most. She kept me company and made me feel like I could regain control over my life. What I have with her is definitely love. Forty people, guests, attended their wedding. Isn't that so sweet? You say no, it's insane. It's crazy. And you have no idea where I'm going with this. <laughs> listen, friends, it's quite possible if you're married, listen, if you're married that one of the VDPs in your life occasionally is your spouse. Dare I say that? So what, what, what would you rather have? You, would you rather have a hologram that does whatever you want it to do and agrees with you on every point? Or do you want someone who will challenge you and contend with you and be grumpy on some days and give you opportunities to grow. Thank God. Thank God for real people with real problems. They'll stretch you. Gratitude in relationships. Thank God for supporters. People who will support you in your mission, financially, emotionally. Thank God for role models in every area of your life, people who are role models. And uh, thank God even for your VDPs. Now, you've got a homework assignment from this week. Haven't given homework in a long time after a sermon, but uh, here's your homework, okay? Two pieces of homework. Number one, I want you to carve out time sometime in the next day or two, 10 minutes of time when you will bow your head and thank God for your supporters, your role models, and your VDPs, whoever comes to mind. If you want an A-plus in the course, do it every day this week, okay? But at least do it once before you open your Bible maybe on Monday morning or before you go to bed uh, tonight. Just scroll through some of the supporters, role models, VDPs in your life, and thank God specifically. Get specific. Okay, second bit of homework is this. Write a note to at least one of these people. Now, my recommendation is you write a note to a supporter or to a role model. Don't try to write a note to a VDP. I don't think you can handle it without leaking something you shouldn't, okay? You know, thank you for being such a jerk and giving me an opportunity to grow. No, don't go there, all right? So, you got the homework? You got it? Good, good. Let me pray for you. Uh, Lord God, as we bow before you, bow to receive our gifts and sing a closing song of praise to you. We're reminded that this is one way that we can say thank you to you by saying, God, you have so blessed our lives financially, materially. You know, we got a roof over our heads. We got heat in our home on a cold spring morning. You know, we got people around us who love you and we get to worship with them. So many things for which we're grateful. Help us to express it, God. 
with our gifts and our offerings. And then, Lord, this week, would you bring to mind those people we have to be thankful for? And God, don't let us stop at just feeling the feeling. Help us express it. And then, God, we, we look forward to the happiness you're going to bring to our lives as we become more grateful people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.